Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. All right, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be as we continue going through the book of Colossians this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Colossians 2, 6 through 15. And you'll see the title of today's sermon is Rooted. You'll see as we get in, it talks about being rooted and built up in Christ. Um, but it, makes, it made me think about, and I've shared this story with some of you before, but last summer when I was doing some yard work, um, and if you were here on Wednesday nights, you may particularly remember, I happened to have gotten this terrible case of poison ivy. Um, and I didn't know where it came from. It was all down my arm and down my side, like just terrible. And I was like, where did this come from? And I remember that there was a particularly large plant. It almost looked like a tree, but it was growing in the wrong place. It kind of sprouted up out of nowhere. So I was going to rip it out. Well, this thing was firmly rooted into the ground. And so I couldn't just grab it and pull it. And so I wrapped my arm all the way around it and tried to get some more leverage and pull on it. I still could not get that thing out of the ground. It's still there to this day. But I found out the hard way that that was poison ivy that I wrapped all around my arm. Um, But it was firmly rooted. It couldn't be moved. It couldn't be shaken. It couldn't be put out of the place in which it was. And so as we think about this idea of being rooted, let's look at Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ." having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with His legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this time that we can gather together and look at what it means to follow you. That we can look at what it means to have a relationship with you and how that relationship should change us and what it should mean in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So the first thing we see in this passage is that a relationship with Christ roots and establishes you. And if you've been here or listened to any of these sermons, one thing you're going to notice as we go through Colossians is that Paul does not go very far in talking to the Colossians without reminding them again of the gospel, of the reason for their hope, of reminding them again of what Christ has done for them. It is put consistently right in front of them. He'll talk about some of the things they're going to encounter, but then again talks about the gospel. So we're going to get to that. So here's what we're going to go through this almost the entire way through. As you received Christ, 
Therefore, as you received Christ, what does that mean? It means that Christ has done something. There is a free gift of salvation available that they've responded to. It doesn't say as you've taken hold of Christ. It doesn't say as you have pursued Christ, as you've gotten. No, Christ did something for you. Christ did something for all who will believe. And if you have received Christ, that's what he's talking about. The free gift of salvation that's available. And so his advice is meant for people who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Everything he's talking about presupposes a relationship with Christ. It presupposes that you have accepted this free gift of salvation. As you have received Christ. As Lord. As you've received Christ. Jesus the Lord. What does that mean in our lives? When we, I've talked about this. When we, when we talk to people, especially when I talk to children about salvation, we accept Christ as our what? Our Lord and Savior. Savior means the, the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, but Lord means He's in charge. It means we are submitting to His, His, His leading and His authority in our lives. So Christ is Lord. And Christ is also, we need to remember, more than just a name. We think about we have believed in Jesus Christ, but what does Christ mean? Christ is Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one of God. So Jesus, the anointed one, that is what we're saying. Jesus, the Messiah, that's who we believe in. In our culture, oftentimes we refer to it as a name, but it's a title. Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, is who we have believed in. So just as as you've received this free gift of salvation from Jesus, the Messiah, who is Lord over all, so walk in Him. So you've received this. This is something that's come into your life. Now you should walk in Him. When you think about the, the calling in the Great Commission that He gives to the disciples, it says, says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded to you. Okay, Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded to you. So you've received this gift of salvation, and now you walk in in him you follow him in your life this is the calling of being a christian it is not to a one-time proclamation of belief that is the first step to then follow and walk in christ so this means that we live a life that is following after and in accordance with god's will we need to then think about our life and the decisions we make if christ is lord who is the ultimate authority in our life It's no longer us. Because when we were the authority of our life, what did that get us into? A situation where we were in need of salvation. And so just as you've received Christ, now walk in Him. So what does God want us to do? What does God want you to do in your daily life? As you go through your life, you need to make sure to submit that to Him. To walk in Him. It means you must also follow after Him where He's leading to follow where He's leading you. Your missions and goals and the things you do in your life should be in the same direction as where God is working and moving in the world. So, just as you've received Christ, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. This means that all we are to do and all that we are should be rooted into Christ. When we talked about last year, at the beginning of last year, it's hard to, rem- to believe that that it's already been over a year since we, start, we talked about this idea of building our new Bethel, which is what we're still seeking to do as we follow after Christ. But what was the first thing we talked about? Building a firm foundation. 
Right? The Bible talks about Jesus as what? He is the cornerstone of the church, the, the essential part that everything is built upon. So it says, rooted and built up in him. When you build a building, when you build somewhere, it's important that you are on sturdy ground. You know, I, I lived really, and my family all lives in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and you can think of a building there, it's pretty famous, that had a problem with its foundation. The Corvette Museum was built over a sinkhole. And so when the time was right, what happened? Everything that was in there falls down into the sinkhole. The foundation was not secure. It was not stable in that way. You think about some of the, the plants you may deal with. Some, unfortunately, sometimes the, the plants we want to have, are, our roots are pretty weak and are easily removed, and the ones that are what you want to remove are really strong. So your foundation is Christ. What are you rooted into? What is your life flowing from? It should be Christ. Firmly established and rooted and built up. So if your foundation is solid, then you have the opportunity to be immovable. And there's not a firmer foundation than Christ. So your foundation, rooted and built up in Him. That's important. In Him. All throughout this world, each and every one of us, before we knew Christ, builted, built our lives and rooted our lives in something other than Christ. And the temptation as believers is to root and build our lives up into in and on things that aren't Christ. It could be things that are perceived as good. It could be your family. It could be your job. It could be a, a hobby or pursuit that you build your life upon these things. But the moment they're taken away, you don't know what to do. You don't know where you are because if you are, have rooted and built your life on something that is not Christ, it's temporary. It's temporary. What happens when, when your job that you've, you've loved and, and, you, and you've built your life upon, you suddenly can't do anymore? I, I know a, a family friend of ours that ha had worked a career and was in a, tr a terrible accident. They went to a tanning bed and it shattered. They lost complete, almost complete use of their arm and they, they worked in a profession that was a good profession. That, they earned them a good living, but they couldn't do it without full access to their arm. What happens to you in that situation? What happens if, if something terrible happens to you where things that you built your life upon are taken away? And you've all heard the story of that song before. And, and that's not even, I, I mentioned that to Becky that I thought that this song really went along with this passage, but that's not even the reason why. The, the guy that wrote the song, I'm not going to give you the whole thing, but he lost everything. And he was from a place of sorrow and having lost all of the things that he was holding dear into the world that he could say it as well. Why? Because he was rooted and built up in Christ. So not only is your foundation Christ, but you, are, you have to be rooted deep because the world is going to come at you. There are going to be times where everything seems to be going wrong. There's going to be times where it seems like you cannot catch a break. And it's in those moments that not only does your foundation need to be Christ, you need to be clinging to Him, rooted, unshakable on the unshakable foundation, rooted in Him. It makes me think about what, what Jesus said to the disciples in John 15.4, Abide in Me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in Me. If we want to be who God is calling us to be, 
we have to remain rooted and built up in Him. Abiding in Him. Established in the faith. So, rooted and built up in Him. Established in the faith. This means what? There's been some work that's been done. This is evidence that you have been built up. There has been growth in the faith. If, if you've, you've probably given or received this advice at some point in your life where maybe someone just gets married or they move to a new city, and often there's this perception of getting established, right? It takes some time to, you know, you've got to settle down a little bit. You've got to get some things figured out. People give you advice after big things in your life. Don't make any crazy decisions, right? Don't get, get settled a little bit. Get established, before making big decisions. Paul highlights that we need to be established in the faith. Well, how do you get established? You do things that correspond with what you need to do. If you get established in a job, what's that mean? You've been there for a while. You've put the work in. You know how things work now. It's not like the day you first got there and someone had to show you around. You know where to go. You know how to open up. You know how to close down. When someone else comes in, you can show them around because you have been there for a while. We should be established in the faith, faith, built up from this solid foundation. Just as you were taught, we have to learn. We have to learn from people who know more than we do throughout the rest of our life. And also, that means that someone else has to teach newer generations, and that falls upon us. Just as you were taught, you cannot be a Christian. Let me, let me, let me rephrase that. If you are a Christian, it is necessary that you engage in the body of Christ. Okay? It doesn't, that doesn't mean you're, you're never going to miss church. That doesn't mean that you're, you're going to be at every single thing every time it's open. But an essential part of being rooted and built up and established in the faith is being taught. And then also teaching and investing in others. You can't do that by yourself. Man, some of the, the most beautiful and, and, and closest interactions I've had with God have been by, by myself. We went on a, a road trip after I graduated from high school, and, and we got to go to Yosemite, and my friends went on, they were a little more adventurous than me, went on and jumped off some rocks into this like pool. It was pretty cool, but I didn't want to do that. Went off the trail, sat on this rock in front of this beautiful waterfall. And, and I had my Bible with me, I just kind of read a little bit. It was just this beauty of God experiencing Him through His creation. Wonderful. You know, a lot of guys, their excuse is, you know, I'm going to go have my church while I'm fishing or something like that, right? Yeah, I've, I've been fishing. I love it. Still does not, cannot replace what the body of Christ does as it roots and builds one another up as teaching one another. Abounding in thanksgiving. Paul says this a lot. He starts it with talking about Thanksgiving and he's bringing it up again. Why? Why is he talking about Thanksgiving? Why? He's already talked about things might be difficult, how we have to be rooted, established, built up, and he's about to say how people are going to come against us. Why should we be thankful? How can we not? When we remember what Christ has done for us, when we remember what God has done for us, we must always be thankful because if, if we're not thankful, we become what? Entitled and we take it for granted. When, when we were working on this, I got to go with, with, uh, with Greg to get some of the chords we needed. And we, we were talking about this idea. And here's the reality. Everybody has senses of entitlement. 
They vary on what people are entitled, feel entitled to, but we feel as though we are owed something. It is a major problem if that sense of entitlement that we all naturally have to fight against comes into our relationship with God. If we feel as though our salvation is something that we deserve. And if we realize we don't deserve it, what can we be other than thankful? We must be thankful to Him. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Even at this time, people were seeking to undermine the Christian faith, seeking to take people away from Christ if it was possible, to lead them astray, to say, no, what you believe is wrong. Here's, let me show you why this is right. Through philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world. So what do we see here? There are, I think there's two kinds of things people will do when they seek to lead you somewhere other than Christ. Sometimes it's because they genuinely believe something else. There are people in this world, whether they believe in another religion or whether they believe in, in no God at all, would seek to lead you to believe what they believe because they think they're right. Because they think they're right. And that's, a, that's a genuine motive of sorts because they think they're right. And they want to share, just like we think they're wrong, we think we're right, we want to share the truth of God with them. So that would be more maybe philosophy. They've, they've come up with these ideas of how the world works. Then there's empty deceit. I mean, sometimes when people try to lead you a certain direction, try to lead you away from Christ, it's with ill intentions. You ever been lied to? Deceit. Leading you away from the truth. And they know it not to be true. And this is what Satan and his demons are constantly trying to do, to lead you in whatever way away from Christ. According to human tradition, well, that's, well, this is only what I know. This is all I know. Listen, we have a reason, and our, our faith is reasonable. If you look through, there are so many, uh, so many things you can look into about apologetics, about why we can believe and, and should believe what we believe. But the ultimate reason is that these things are according to something other than Christ. Christ is the ultimate authority. All of these things and explanations and attempts to understand the ultimate truth are, are attempts to understand the ultimate truth found in Christ. So what, what do I mean by that? Christ is the ultimate authority. We see here the whole fullness of deity bo- dwells bodily. God is over all things. There is nothing that exists that is outside His control, outside of His boundaries. Can you remember a time where you were a child and maybe you were an older sibling or, or a or a younger sibling, or a younger friend or cousin, or an older friend or cousin, but there's always a power dynamic that kind of develops in those situations, right? Where you're playing with kids outside, and, and somebody becomes the leader, and they're kind of in charge, and if you go against them, they're going to kind of come against you, right? We see this happen all the time, where maybe bullies arise, or it's not always malevolent, it's not always evil in the way they interact, but what happens when the adult comes in the room? That person that thought they had authority, thought they had power, Lose it as it all. When true authority is present, false authority is revealed for what it is. Okay, so there, you're going to hear some good arguments. You're going to hear things, and, and I, wanna, I want you to understand that if you have a time where something makes you think a little bit about your faith, where something makes you have, where you have questions, that's okay. 
It's okay to ask questions, but it's important that we trust the ultimate authority. Because you're going to hear a lot of deceptive arguments. You're going to hear a lot of things that people will say that sound plausible. We talked about that last week. See that no one deceives you with plausible arguments. But we remember these are people seeking to explain the ultimate truth that's found and ruled by Christ. So He is our ultimate authority. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in Him who's the head and rule of all authority. We submit to God, not to people. We listen to God and not to people. But we sort through things. doesn't mean you, you don't try to answer questions, but God is our ultimate authority. And then we shift here. Because He is the authority, we see what He has done with it for us. A relationship with Christ is sealed by the new covenant. A relationship with Christ is sealed by the new covenant. And so we see here where he starts to talk to the Colossians. Remember, they are Gentiles. They are not Jewish. So they are new believers. They didn't follow the Old Testament. They didn't follow the law. New believers. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh and by the circumcision of Christ. There was a problem going on in a lot of these Gentile churches where there was a group of people who professed Christ that basically said to, to follow Christ you had to convert to Judaism. And we know that in Genesis chapter 17, God gives Abraham the sign of circumcision to be the sign of their covenant. That this is, you will be my people, I will be your God, I'll make you a great nation. The sign of this promise is going to be circumcision. And so even today, if you want to become a Jew, you have to follow all of the laws, including that. And so these people would go around and say, hey, you're a Gentile believer, you were not a Jew, so you have to do this as well. And so Paul, more in other books, but vehemently denies that. Says, hey, listen, Christ has done a, a, a different and a new thing. There is a new covenant. There's a new covenant. It, it, that promise in the Old Testament said if someone wasn't circumcised, they were cut off from his people. But in this, there's a circumcision of the heart through Christ. And we see here another element that, that we, we, we often hear in church that some people, I don't think, realize where it comes from. I've heard the statement that, that people, you know, what do we say when, or this is at least what I say, when, someone's, when, when they're baptized, I say, buried with Christ and raised with Him to walk in newness of life. And I've heard someone say, well, that's not in the Bible. Maybe not those exact words, but listen to this. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead, God made, alive, God made alive together with him. The sign of the new covenant is baptism. Accomplished by the work of Christ, accepted through faith, but the sign of this, the, the symbol to all people that you are a part of this body is to be baptized. It doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't save you, but it's the sign of the new covenant. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to new life through faith. Because we were dead in our trespasses and uncircumcision of our flesh. God made us alive together with Him. So the next thing we see, the last thing we see is that a relationship with Christ means your debt has been paid. Having forgiven 
us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demand. The reality that we have to understand is that outside of Christ, outside of salvation, we all stand guilty before God. That there is a debt that must be paid. That if we, a lot of people like to think about this, about most people's perception, I think, of how you go to heaven is this idea of a scale. And it comes from, I think, really Egyptian philosophy. This idea that there's a scale. And if your good outweighs your bad, right, then you'll go to heaven. It's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches us in any way. That our debt can't be paid by us. That if there is any sin in our life, we stand guilty before a holy God. If someone goes to the court of law and they stand guilty, what's going to happen? Punishment. We see this. The wages of sin is death. We have earned death. We have earned punishment. There's wrath that stands against us because of our sin. But He has forgiven all of our trespasses, forgiven us all our sins, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demand. Because here's what we have to remember, that God is a merciful God. We, we, we talk about this. He's graceful. He, he gives us grace. He shows us mercy, giving us good things we don't deserve. But He's also a just God. That those who know of Him and who knows of Him, all the world knows that God exists. Romans 1 makes that very clear. All that know about Him, but reject the free gift given in Christ, are guilty. They stand condemned because He's a just God and He punishes wickedness. But what did, what did He do in Christ? This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He set aside our sin. He set aside the debt that we had, nailed it to the cross. Right? Think about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. And this is why I asked her to put this song in there. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what this song is saying. My sin, and, and, you know, and it's almost as if he's writing this and he just has to stop and just say it again, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. That is what this is saying, is that the record that stood against you was nailed to the cross and Jesus took your punishment, the legal demands of it, paid your debt so that you could be saved. So that you could be in right relationship with Him. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. So what does this mean? What is the whole purpose of what Satan is trying to do in the world? To accuse and to lead people from God. How does the beginning of the book of Job start? Satan comes before God and he says, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the land. Well, it's only because he has good things. If you take those things from him, he'll, he'll turn on you. Satan is an accuser wishing to see people perish in their sin. But in Christ, 
There is victory. There is freedom from the punishment of your sin and freedom from your sin. As Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The good news is that your debt has been paid if you've believed in Jesus. So my question to you this morning is, do you know Christ this morning? Do you have a relationship with Him? Because the debt has been paid. Have you accepted this free gift of salvation that Christ offers you? Then the next thing we have to ask is, are you trusting Christ alone for your salvation? Maybe you have, you have accepted this gift, but are you trusting in Him alone? You see, because the whole point of this and the whole point that Paul makes about this idea of, of the new covenant, of being sealed by this, is that there is no longer any effort or, or work that we have to do to accomplish our salvation or to keep our salvation. That has been done by Christ and Christ alone. We follow Him out of joyful obedience, not out of obligation to pay a debt. Are you trusting Christ alone for your salvation? Are you think you have to, or do you think you have to keep it or earn it? Are you rooted and established in Christ? Are you building your life upon Christ? Are you walking in Him? Are you prepared to stand against any that would seek to lead you away from Christ? Are you seeking to grow in this knowledge? There's so much beautiful truth in this passage we've looked at today. And wherever you are in your life, I want to challenge you as we come to this time of invitation, what do you need to do today? Do you need to accept this free gift of salvation for the very first time? To be forgiven for your sins? To be saved? Do you need to make sure that your foundation is in Christ? That you're being built up in that? You're pursuing that and not other things that can be taken away from you? And are you depending on Him and Him alone to sustain you through your life. As we come to this time, and Becky's going to come in a few moments, and the altar will be open for you to pray, to see how, how God is dealing with you. You can pray right where you are, and I'll be down front if you have questions about what it means to be saved or if you're in a time where you need prayer. But the invitation is not only about inv invitation to salvation. It's an invitation for you to do what God is calling you to do in your life today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for this day that You've given us, this time that we can come together, Lord. And I pray that You would be with us. I pray that You would just convict each of us where, where You are calling each of us to look at our lives and to change. God, I pray that You would help us to follow You today. Lord, if there's any who do not know You, I pray that today would be the day they would turn to You in salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.